Today we'll be discussing Nepo babies in Hollywood, and we'll be discussing type 2 diabetes. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy to entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic from medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll discuss the much-buzzed-about issue of Nepo babies in Hollywood. Fame and fortune, Ali, is not the only thing you might get from your parents. In our second half, we'll be discussing something else you might get from them, type 2 diabetes. You're proud of yourself for that, aren't you, huh? I yeah, feel like you're very, it's very good. Very good segue. Very good linkage between the two. The funny thing is when you first told me we should look into this Nepo baby subject, I thought that was the medical thing we were going to do. Because <laughs> oh. I, doesn't it? Well, first of all, you're a pediatric neurologist. Second of all, I don't know. Nepo, Nepo baby sounds like some kind of disorder you're born with. And we, as we're about to discuss, maybe in some cases it is. Okay, so Ali, I did want to talk to you about this non-medical topic, Nepo babies. Nepo stands for nepotism, nepotism babies. It's really been in the news. There were some articles that came out on Vulture, the website, but I think they were published in the New York Magazine. Is it New York Magazine or the New York Magazine? I don't know. Let me hold it up in front of you to oh, take Ali a look. Has a I subscribe, my friend. I subscribe. I subscribe to Vulture, actually. But for some reason, even though I've been told that this was in Vulture, I don't know. I didn't get Vulture. I got New York and it's, it's right here. It's in this one. It's a cover story. Yeah. And so it kind of made big news towards the end of 2022 in December. And then now every day you hear some celebrity commenting about it. And so basically it's this kind of allegation that there's lots of nepotism in Hollywood. And that's how a lot of people are getting their breaks. And it kind of reached ahead because of a, a couple of different things that, that happened over the past year. But maybe we should just go about when this term actually started. Yeah, it's actually somebody, I think you had told me that she's not really, This didn't, the article didn't suggest this, but she's not particularly well known on Twitter. This woman, Miriam Daraji, Canadian, who they went to great lengths to say that she spent some time three years in North Africa, maybe in Algeria, where she had no internet. So when she came back to Canada, it was like being released out of prison, internet prison. Maybe she was in prison. I don't think she's in prison. She, <laughs> I don't um, think so. No, but she just immersed everything that she could on the internet and learned how to be a slightly mean tweeter, I think is what's been suggested <laughs> well, she's as well. She's a, a Canadian, right? I think you were saying that. She's based yeah. in Montreal. She's a, like a tech, works in tech. And she just did this tweet that kind of, it really is viral because I went and checked out her Twitter page. It doesn't have like a ton of followers. doesn't become like a, as you said, like a social media celebrity after this tweet, but it just, the actual tweet got picked up a lot. Basically, she was watching Euphoria, which is a show I have not watched as of yet, as well as maybe I'm not in their target demographic for Euphoria. But I guess Maud Apatow is in this show. And she is the daughter of Juddy Judd Judd and Leslie Mann. Leslie Mann and Judd Apatow. And basically, 
she coined this term, she being Miriam Diraji coined this term Nepo babies. And a part of the tweet is OMG, her mom, Maud's mom, is Leslie Mann, and her dad is a movie director, LOL. Kind of like, oh, that's how you got this job on Euphoria, basically. Right. As some of our listeners, most of our listeners, let's be honest, you're probably all over 35. You may have sort of a knee-jerk reaction. The internet had a, a reaction two ways. It went two ways. Actually, it went more than two ways. Part of it was about this idea that somebody gets work because of who they're connected to. Some of it was people saying, oh, is that who her mom is? And then, of course, others in our age group, we had the same reaction. This actually happened in our house, Asif, a couple of weeks ago. My daughter wants to see, what is the name of the band? The Inhalers? Inhaler. Inhaler. Just not the Inhalers. Wants to see Inhaler. And my wife is like, so, wait, who is this band? Knowing Hold on a that second. She won't know. Yeah. What I'll do is. I'm going to play a clip right now of Inhaler, and I want people to try and guess who the lead singer is related to. He's related to a famous musician. So I'm going to go play that, and you guys can think about I love it. it. Asif Doja always testing people's knowledge. So you should have guessed by now, but here's what happens. My wife goes, who is Inhaler? I don't know if you should be going to this concert. What kind of band are they? You know, she's trying to determine if it's like death metal or what. And my daughter goes, I don't know, like his father was some famous singer or something. You too. Do you know them? No. Do you know him? She goes, do you know him? So like so much wrong with that entire thing. First of all, it's not a him. Second of all, how do you not know them? Uh, of course, we know them. It's like, so then we had a big discussion about it. It's like basically at the level of Madonna, you too. And my wife and I then had a disagreement. No, Madonna's bigger. It went into a whole thing. But the fact that, you know, Inhaler is the currency and not you too or Bono, that was pretty wild for us to experience with our kid and that's why when you have older men dating younger women it always blows my mind i'm like what you're dating someone who doesn't know who george michael is dude that's crazy so anyway this is what happened the internet went in different directions on this but it obviously uh it struck a chord and struck a nerve and then the term nepo babies was born it has also struck a nerve with actual nepo babies mm -hmm, for sure and let's get into we have some quotes that have been featured in these articles that have been on Vulture and New York Magazine. But just to finish off, I feel bad we didn't mention his name. So Elijah Hewson is the lead singer of Inhaler, who is Bono's son. And I mean, you know, I actually downloaded that album because I heard about Inhaler on the podcast on Earwolf, You Talking You Two to Me, which is Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott. And so they played this song and I'm like, oh, is this a new U2 song? Because U2's son sounds exactly like him. And they're like, no, this is Inhaler. So that's why I heard about it. I downloaded the album. It's a pretty good album. Like, they're a pretty good band. So you can say, well, this guy is talented. And this is kind of the whole gist of, of, of this 
conversation about Nepo Babies. This guy is talented, but his dad is also insanely rich and one of the most famous musicians on the planet. Maybe not as famous as Madonna, as your wife was saying, but quite famous. So then the question is, would he have gotten where he is in terms of Inhaler being a band, you know, they're playing in Toronto, I guess in a couple months and doing these world tours without his father being Bonham? I guess that's a rhetorical question. Yeah. I, were you waiting for me to say something? I mean, look, I think it's insane to think that, and this is what I was getting at that uh, you wanted to mention Elijah's name, but I was trying to get at the fact that Nepo babies themselves have had a real reaction to this as though this is like the new, like sort of low level of vulgarity yeah. directed at people of incredible privilege. And that's why this New York slash Vulture article is so interesting, too, because you have a lot of people, people that many of us who appreciate the arts, people who, you know, we'd respect and we like saying things. And as another article you sent me suggested, Asif, the problem is that every time you hear something, this was on NBC News, it was an opinion piece saying most of the celebrity Nepo baby responses make celebrities actually sound worse. I mean... Yeah, it, it is crazy. I mean, it's not just Nepo Babies, by the way. Leslie Mann, who's married to Judd Apatow. You know how she's been in quite a few movies since she got married to Judd Apatow? Like, I don't think Leslie Mann is actually that funny compared to other people, but... Oh, Leslie Mann's yeah. terrific. But that's another... I, that's, yeah, that's the that's, whole... Yeah, that's the whole... The, the that's whole the whole discussion, right? You, I mean, for me, I think it's insane that somebody, and many actors think this way, but this is this is what privilege is. This is what it looks like. You think that if you grew up in a one-bedroom apartment with a father who's an electrician and a mother who's a social worker, you grew up in a mansion with a father who's a director, producer, and a mother who's an actress, and you think you don't have any particular <laughs> privilege? I mean, what are you talking about? What are you even saying? This is how deep into your own ABS you, but but also deep into your own privileged you are that you can't even see that you're privileged. This is what privilege is, where people are like, no, I had the same life as everyone, because you don't actually know any other life. And and mm -hmm. it's interesting, in my opinion also, and this is a whole other part of the discussion that I feel like you as an actor, as a comedian, many artists are who they are and, and get the success they get because of struggle. You know, in fact, in mm -hmm. acting, when you have some emotion about something, some negative emotion, there's a very common thing. People go, use it, use it. In other words, use it in the scene, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. Like if something is like, man, this scene is really bringing up very bad memories of how I was broke and uh, living on the streets. And they go, great, use it. Use it for this artificial contrived scene that's been created. But, you know, often some of these Privileged people won't have anything to use. There's no it to use. But now they do because they're going to have been called Nepo babies. Uh. See, it all works <laughs> full circle. But Ali, I want to ask you, have you encountered this in your work in the entertainment industry? Sure. Sure. I've worked with a, a variety of people whose parents were in the industry. Um, some of them less talented and is, you know, out of respect for them and myself. As a self-respecting individual, I can't really mention them. But then there's other Aww, people who, come on. yeah, I bet, I bet you want that juicy, juicy gossip. But then there's other people who would be considered Nepo babies and yet are extremely talented and extremely hardworking. And I think one 
example that comes to mind is I befriended Kevin Tierney, late, great, fantastic director out of Canada, and his son, Jacob Tierney, would be well-known to many people in, in Canada. He's been in a number of films, indie films, mm -hmm. larger films, yep. and most recently, uh, Letterkenny is where he's found a home and he's thriving there. But he's like another guy who his whole life would have been, you know, it, it reminds me of like a Canadian version of Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner were best friends since a young age. They started working together. They were also friends with Norman Lear, who created All in the Family, right? Mm -hmm. So you... Nor, you know, when he's casting All in the Family, he takes his friend Carl Reiner's son, Rob Reiner, is, is Meathead. Is that a coincidence? Did he have to go through the same audition process as everyone else? Probably not. You grew up with a kid. Honestly, if, mm -hmm. if I'm a soccer coach and your daughter is an incredible soccer player, it goes without saying that I'm going to favor her because you have what we've talked about on this show. You have biases. Mm -hmm. And they exist just on a human level. There's bias all the time. And there's also this idea, if you remember the old days of resumes going somewhere and delivering your resume to somebody, right? You would drop it off somewhere because you wanted a job in retail or at some office for the summer or whatever it is. Somebody had to read all those resumes. So somebody had whatever, 150 resumes on their desk. And then... One of the employees comes in and says, hey, boss, by the way, I've got a friend who's looking for work. They have some experience. They're really good. And all of a sudden, you're, like, you're telling me I don't have to read 150 resumes? I can just mm -hmm. take your word for it? And do, oh, fantastic. So human laziness comes in there. Friendship, relationships mm -hmm. come in. Bias comes in. There's no way that this concept is invalid. Of course, there is nepotism. It exists and exists in many fields. And there's also this idea of genetics, right? So certain talents are genetically inherited, maybe some more than others, but certainly athletes, we're seeing a lot of MBA athletes. Now their parents were MBA athletes, for example, and there's genetics to that. And you have to be able to prove yourself on the court. Otherwise you're going to get cut, right? There's no, you know, it's hard to argue that there may be an in there. And you could even argue with Bono's kid who's in inhaler he has to be able to sing well, and he sings very similar to his father, well, who is okay, a well-renowned so vocalist. I would argue there, an NBA team has to perform at a certain level. The entire team has to perform. Otherwise, you get sent down to the minors if you're not performing on the team. You have investors, you have fans, you have a lot of vested interest in a sports team and a sports franchise doing very well. You don't have that in film. Okay. If there was a minors, there's plenty of actors you and I both know who should have been sent down to the minors, but they still get, you know, in this New York article, this idea is that, hey, if you're a child of a celebrity, the conventional wisdom is, hey, try. And if you don't succeed, try, 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 and try again because you are the child of a celebrity. So eventually yeah. you will succeed. And that's the opposite of other people who worry about, I will fail one day. Well, let's go through some examples. So Ali, in your magazine, I have it here online and I have it linked so you guys can take a look at it. It's really amazing. It's this it's pictures of all these Nepo babies and their connections, like who their parents are. And it's very interesting. Some of them are, are ones that you know right away. Some of them, I didn't even know that they had any nepotism. So we don't have to go through every picture because there's like a hundred on this page or it's like several pages in your magazine. But we can talk about a couple of them. So one of them whose name has not come up 
in the news, but I think about is Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek. So, you know, Dan Levy was an aspiring actor, writer, trying to get things off the ground, did not really have a lot of success until Schitt's Creek. I don't know the details and I'm not trying to make any judgments or anything, but I'm sure Eugene Levy being a part of that helped get it onto CBC and then become a, a cultural phenomenon. So maybe there was a, you know, getting in the door because of that. But I think Dan Levy proved himself to be an excellent producer, writer, actor, who has, nobody, I think, would say, oh, well, it's only because of your dad that you have any success. I don't think you could say that. So that's an example of someone who I think maybe got a a leg up, but proved themselves. I 100% agree with you about Dan Levy and Dan's talent, just like I feel the same way about the Tierneys. But what we go back to is this idea of that you just said maybe they got a leg up. On the one hand, you have the Ben Stillers of the world saying things like, uh, let me quote this art. You'll hear pages because I'm using pages. Ben Stiller says showbiz, as we all know, is pretty rough. And ultimately, it's a meritocracy. Untalented people don't really last if they get a break because of who they are or know or are related to. Okay, that's one theory. And Ben Stiller, I also have a lot of respect for. That man works very hard. However, a quote from Fran Lebowitz, written in 1997 in Vanity Fair, she said that particular way of looking at things is absolutely ludicrous because getting in the door is pretty much the entire game, especially in movie acting, which is, after all, hardly a profession notable for its rigor. Mm -hmm. Fran, how dare you? Now, Leibowitz brought this up in the service of a metaphor about structural racism. Just as the children of celebrities got a leg up from the fact that they physically resembled people who were already famous or connected to them, so did America's whites benefit from fitting the nation's mental image of who should be in charge. In in that context, being a Nepo baby is the Cadillac of privilege. Nobody's got better. So when you say Dan Levy may have got a leg up, my perspective is, Of course, they got a leg up. But my perspective is also, why wouldn't they get a leg up? When you read about the craziest part of this article, Bruce Springsteen's son, what was that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he's an accountant, I believe. He's an accountant. And who else's son is like a law clerk or, I mean, massive, massive stars. I can't. Now, this is the problem with with a, an article i can't control f to find out where that was but anyway that's that's the weird part for me i love it and i think that that's wild nobody's forcing bruce springsteen's son to do anything they don't want to do or want to but that's the one that sticks out where i'm like wow that's crazy that, yeah. that you know i i think it would be almost natural for you to go into the business because you grew up only knowing that business Bono's son was probably touring with him at a young age, you know, where they give a little break to Bono's partner to just come on tour with us. We have all the money in the world. We can have the, this kid tutored. We can have this mm-hmm. kid, you know, you know, daycare, whatever. So you grow up with that. Dude, it's like my father was an English teacher and I approach language in a certain way because of it. Your father was an engineer, but more importantly, he was a very curious, inquisitive person. That's why you're doing what you're doing. This is my Mm -hmm. whole worry is that my children will have the worst financial common sense because of their father. (laughs) They'll have the worst computer literacy because of their father. I'm trying to force them into other things, but if you don't, your parents are producers and actors and, you know, there's some interesting stuff about Jonah Hill 
and his uh, sister Beanie. Her father was an accountant for Guns N' Roses. Did you mm-hmm. read that part of the yeah, article? I read and that, that's yeah. still counts as a what do you want to call it yeah. a, um on the fringe nepo, of nepo baby. baby yeah i i think that is barely giving them a leg up i and so i think there is differences right and then you can look at someone like tom hanks and rita wilson and their son colin hanks who's an actor i think he's a pretty good actor i mean you know i, I think he has sure. talent Love and then do. there's chet hanks who is like just about the biggest loser on the face of the earth, who is really probably only well-known because he's such an idiot and happens to be their son. White boy summer, bruh. Remember that? Anyway, yeah, I do. (laughs) I don't want to. (laughs) Then there's there's other people. Scott Eastwood's another one. I don't think Scott Eastwood is terribly talented, but he's also a good-looking guy. And so, and when it comes to looks, that's the other thing. The ones I, uh, the ones, the ones that I'm most forgiving of is the ones who go into modeling, because some of them are amazing-looking people who the parents are actors and models and just gorgeous people. Yeah, okay, it's okay to go into modeling. I mean, they're stunning people. Mm-hmm. Some of them are a bit. As someone pointed out. Who is it? I think it's uh, Kamala Harris's stepdaughter, you know, got into modeling. Well, that's a bit, you know, maybe that's a bit based on your... Uh, on Connections you... or your looks? Connections or, you know, you're somebody famous by default. Yeah. We also live in a world where your Instagram followers, your TikTok followers, this is like currency. This is stuff that you can trade for work. Do you know what I mean? Like... You will have more people's eyes on the runway, on the products, on the fashion, on the brands, because if we get this person and they have 500,000 people following them on TikTok, so this, this will help us. And they have, you know, semi-high cheekbones. We'll teach them how to walk. And then right. we'll, we'll figure it out. And, so- and I've heard that when the Jenners are on the runway, people are like, they don't even know how to walk. They're not real models. I'm like, okay. Yeah, the Jenners is not a real, it's not Gen, Gen something, Gen X, the Jenners. That's not us if not knowing how to say Gen X or Gen Z. He means Jenner. Kardashians. Kardashians. I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. Do it. I barely do. And so, yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it is interesting. There's so many interesting things. And then there's people who clearly have surpassed their parents. Or some of them I didn't even know. So I watch The Boys on Amazon, and Jack Quaid is in it, who plays the main one of the main characters, Huey. And I'm like, oh, this guy's a really good actor. He's really good. Then I realized, oh, his bottom half of his face looks like Dennis Quaid, and the top half looks like <laughs> Meg Ryan. I'm like, wait a minute. And then I realized, oh, it was Jack Quaid, Dennis Quaid's uh, and Meg Ryan's son. But he was I created can't... in a lab. That's why it's a full half. Top half, I think bottom so. half. And of course, yeah. there's Maya Hawk, Ethan Hawk, and Uma Thurman's daughter. She's in uh, Stranger Things. I think she's great. I think she, I didn't realize. And then the one that you just told me about the other day, Lily Collins, who's the star of Emily in Paris. Phil Collins' daughter? What? what I can't believe the? you didn't know that. I had no idea. I, you but... think you know a guy. You think you yeah. can trust the guy, and then he just doesn't know some basic stuff. Uh, no, I, this, I know this because of my wife telling me this. We knew this before we started watching Emily in Paris. My question is this, Asif, does it change something for you? Because I went through that, thanks to this article with Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm-hmm. Gwyneth Paltrow, her father is a producer who I, I don't know, but do you know who her mother is? Blythe Danner. Yeah, did you know that I, did, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I had no idea she had any connections to Hollywood. So Blythe is in a number of episodes of Will and Grace, the Little Fockers and the Fokker, the whole Fockers series, uh, all of that, and She's great. She's funny. Mm-hmm. She's very, you know, reliable, wonderful 
actor. There's no doubt about that. She's been in a bunch of stuff and I had no idea. Now, the question is, how does that change things? Does it change things that the woman I know from Meet the Parents as a daughter who has, you know, because I don't look at it like, oh, that's why Gwyneth Paltrow had success. I look at it like, oh yeah, of course Gwyneth Paltrow would choose to be in acting because you have connections there, you have contacts, you have a little bit of a leg up. It's a world you recognize and understand given your mother and father's work. And it's something that comes naturally. Now, some people might say that Gwyneth Paltrow's work does not look like it comes naturally, but I don't know. I think it doesn't look natural. To... Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I'd falter. I think she's, I, let's put aside Goop, which we've talked about previously oh, on the God, podcast. Please look, look at our archives for that episode. But I think she's a good actress. I don't think she's amazing, but I think she's, she certainly is talented. And, and her quote, by the way, we have some quotes just to end off this section. She says, Quote, I really do feel that once your foot is in the door, which you unfairly got in. So she admits that. Yeah. Good then you have to work almost twice as hard and be twice as good because people are ready to pull you down and say you don't belong there. Hard to disagree if that's her personal. She probably found that personally, you know, that. that yes. Paltrow, people would know her last name. And, and I think, you know, that's a fair thing to say. In response to that, I will say this, however. Just another quote that dispels that a little bit. And again, I don't disagree. I mean, that might have been her experience. But there's a casting director who obviously chose to remain unnamed in this article who said that he or she was lamenting the rise of Nepo Baby, saying, I don't think people know or understand what acting is anymore. With the advent of streaming and social media, the big screen no longer rules. And They said a lot of these people watch this crap, this crap being, I guess, whatever, sketches on Instagram and TikTok. And they think what they're watching is good acting. And then they mimic that Mm. and it's not good. So that devolution explains why it may feel as though there are so many more well-born mediocrities than ever before. The standard of the medium of acting is gradually lowering. So that kind of flies in the face of Gwyneth Paltrow's thing about people are trying to take you down. But I think Gwyneth Paltrow came to rise in a time before social media Mm -hmm. and before this world of TikTok and quote unquote crap acting. So maybe it stands to reason that she would feel that way. And there's so many aspects to this. They also talk in the article about how Reese Witherspoon basically called up Mindy Kaling and was like, yeah, you know, my son wants to get into acting. Can you cast him in something? And he was cast in an episode of uh, Never Have I Ever. Like, yeah, it's because they're friends and you can just call in like, who else? I can't call up Mindy Kaling and just be like, hey, can I be in it? We're both brown. Click dial tone. Not that you would even have her number and that, you know, I don't know if dial tones exist anymore. (laughs) The whole scenario is hilarious for all the wrong reasons. Oh, so another thing that came out and it's been quoted a lot. I think it's been blown a bit out of proportion, but there's Destry Spielberg, who is Steven Spielberg's daughter. And she has this short film that was made called The Right Way, but it was written by Owen King, who is Stephen King's son, and stars Hopper Penn, who is Sean Penn's son. And... She was quoted saying, you know, I'm just a young, aspiring female filmmaker who admires the art of cinema. People can argue nepotism, but I know deep down that I worked hard to get where I am. And it's a bit of looking outside your thing. I'm a bit hesitant to link white privilege with the privilege of these stars, but it's like no one's saying you didn't work hard. I'm sure you worked very hard to become a filmmaker, to learn all the skills in filmmaking, to get this short film made. But do you think you worked harder than other people who have none of the connections and aren't filthy rich? If right. you really think that, 
there are some serious delusions going on. Again, the same thing, not saying that people who have white privilege don't work hard. Of course they do. But there is the aspect of being white or rich or whatever, being born in North America. Another thing is, is kind of, it's we talked about these models. So there's Lily Rose Depp. Do you know her? She's the daughter of sure. Vanessa Parody and Johnny Depp. She well, was a person I was thinking of when I was like, yeah, she, of course she's gorgeous. It's Johnny Depp and Vanessa. Have you seen Vanessa Parody? I mean, it's dude, ridiculous. I grew up with Vanessa Parody. She's a Quebecois, you know, a French, uh, the Quebecois love her. They put her on a pedestal because she is Vanessa Parody. And Johnny Depp, I wanted to kiss on the mouth since the first time I ever saw that man. So yeah, of course she would be a model and successful as such. No, no question about it. She said, it's weird to me to reduce somebody to the idea that they're only there because it's a generational thing. It just doesn't make any sense. If somebody's mom or dad is a doctor and the kid becomes a doctor, you're not going to be like, well, you're only a doctor because your parent is a doctor. They're like, no, I went to medical school and trained. And I'm like, I, mean, I kind of understand what she's saying to be charitable, but it's not a reasonable comparison. Certainly the interest, my wife and I are both doctors, the interest my kids may have in medicine, which they currently do not and probably will not. But if they were interested in medicine, of course, it's because they see the lifestyle that we have. They see what I get out of working at the hospital and they might want to follow in that. And there's also the genetics of hopefully our kids are smart and our genes have been passed on. But it's different. I don't have any control about my kids getting into medical school. Maybe people think that I would, but I have zero control over that, even though I work at a medical school. Mm -hmm. It's so unlikely. Again, as Lily Rose Depp is saying, you have to work hard to get into medical school. But the subjectivity of the performing arts, especially acting, sure. is so much more. And I think it's a bit ignorant. Like, I was trying no, for the better she's, of the doubt. She's but. completely negating the whole conversation about barriers to entry. You have an entire generation of South Asian doctors. They had zero leg up. They had just their bullying of their parents behind them, the guilt, the bullying, and the instilling this work ethic and, and you know, the, the good stuff about driving them into, you know, there's no leg up there. This is an entire generation. Nobody was like, ah, oh, yeah, South Asians, that's exactly what we need. This is really hard work that got them into the medical field. I consider you part of that generation, 20, 30 years of a lot of mm -hmm. brown kids who, are, who, who became doctors. This is not what we're talking about. Right. I thought you were being charitable and a little bit too charitable. I even think, dude, look at some of these names. You just mentioned Zestry. No, what is it? Destry? Destry Spielberg. Yeah. Destry Spielberg. You should have been mocked and bullied from day one of your life with the name Destry. Meryl Streep's daughter, Mamie Gummer. Mamie? How are you making it with the name Mamie? There's all these weird. Dude, let me tell you something about so many weird names. Helena Christensen, who was a supermodel, mm -hmm. Norman Reedus. Have this kid, Mingus Reedus. He's a super, Mingus Reedus, you should be stuck in a locker for the rest of your life. No kid would have a normal life with the name Mingus Reedus. And he's a model. He's a he's model. He's a super model. Mingus. There's like 15 of them with the most bizarre names. You can, you could just, you, you go to schools. This is what they also mention in this article. These very posh, I think, private schools that are, you know, they're star-studded school, basically. The children of all these stars. And you can be whoever you want and do whatever you want. It's not a normal existence. It's just not a normal existence. And as you said, your kids, if they go into medicine, it'll have something to do with exposure to that curiosity that you and your wife hold. 
probably intelligence and also a, an appreciation of the lifestyle that comes along with it. But by no means is it helping them get into med school or maybe after med school, you put in a word at one of the hospitals, huh? Wink, wink, mm, nudge, nudge. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure about that. But probably being related to me will actually make them not get a job. Oh, yeah. As you become a more angry person over the years, your legacy will just be. exactly. Are you enraged Dr. Asif Dosh? Because of this podcast. (laughs) So a couple other quotes that kind of highlight some different points. So Zoe Kravitz, she's the daughter of Lisa Bonet and Lenny Kravitz. And I think she's excellent. I'm going to be honest with you. I think Zoe Kravitz is a better actress than Lisa Bonet, like hands down. This is her quote. It's completely normal for people to be in the family business. It's literally where last names came from. If you were a blacksmith, your family was like the black family. I'm like, uh, Zoe, I think you need to probably <laughs> educate yourself a bit more. The last name Smith is where blacksmiths like come from. The name Black is not related to blacksmiths. I mean, I don't know what else to say other than like, maybe this proves that... Uh, no, I'm gonna be too harsh. I was gonna say intelligence didn't have much to. Uh, oh, do. come on! No, it's so mean. But come on, Zoe. Like, I think you just. I don't know. I, I, I sometimes it's better not to say anything. I think. I agree, and so actually, on that note, as we wrap up this section, I think I was saying that this NBC News article did have a lot of people making it worse with everything they had. Just the fact that they're sort of, you're so privileged and you're so lucky to be where you are, and now sort of crying about like i can't believe it's making me sad i think maude apatow said that people are saying these things about us there's nothing sad about it i mean every industry has this yeah so you mentioned every industry has this this was brought up by lily allen whose father was welsh actor keith allen i think lily allen's a bit better known than her father but anyway as a singer not as an actor yes exactly exactly and she said the real nepo babies you should be worrying about the ones who work for legal firms banks working in politics Mm. Okay, false equivalency and whataboutism is probably not going to help your cause. She is absolutely right. In the business world, in politics, lawyers, I I agree. Who you know is very important, extremely important. It is who you know a lot of times. So that is true. But it doesn't mean that that means it's not true for Hollywood, right? Sure. But I appreciate what she's saying, too, because if you just look at the Trump family and sort of pull at that string mm-hmm. and you see who's in power and who's connected to who and who's being who's going to what parties that's a little bit more dangerous in acting nobody's curing cancer here and nobody's like changing the fate of the world mm-hmm. I, you know mm-hmm. it's True. just it's just acting at the end of the day and at the end of the day now there's two end of the, the end end of the day <laughs> we are fascinated by these sort of uh, legacy mm-hmm. families we are even when i told you just now did you know who gwyneth yeah, paltrow's yeah. mom yeah. is it's a subject of interest for me, and I don't know why that is, but when it comes to politics, I would rather not have our prime minister be the son of another mm-hmm. one of our prime ministers. Mm-hmm. I would rather clean slate people come in without privilege and the politics of the family, the backroom dealings and the parties and all that. I would rather have a clean slate of somebody who comes in with fresh eyes in politics. So to her point, I think it's it's far more uh, concerning when it's in these families where people wield actual power and not really in film and television. Final quote to wrap up this section goes to Alison Williams. Alison Williams is an actor. Asif, if you're a fan of hers, you said you think she's a Yeah, I like her. Her dad is former NBC nightly news anchor, Brian Williams. 
Her mother's a producer as well, Jane Gillian Stoddard. I saw her in Girls. I don't like Girls, the show, but she was the only part of Girls that I liked. I thought she was great. And she's something. in the, she's been in lots of movies and TV shows. She's in this new movie, Megan, that's coming out, maybe out now. It's a horror movie about this lifelike doll. I don't know. She's, she's good. She's talented. So she said this in uh, Wired magazine. She said, it doesn't feel like a loss to admit if you trust your own skill. I think it, it becomes very simple to acknowledge. All that people are looking for is an acknowledgement that it is not a level playing field. It's just unfair. Period. End of story. And no one's really working that hard to make it fair. To not acknowledge that me getting started as an actress versus someone with zero connections isn't the same. It's ludicrous. It doesn't take away anything from the work that I've done. It just means that it's not as fun to root for me. I mean, Perfect. those should be the final words on the subject, but more people are going to speak. And as this article in NBC News suggests, they're going to make themselves sound worse. All right, Asif, we're going to talk about diabetes. As usual, I read nothing about it. I know nothing about it. What is it? How can I get some? Uh -oh. Obviously, as a brown guy, I know people may not know this. South Asians are highly, highly predisposed to both heart disease and diabetes. So many of us, and this is not a brag by any stretch of the imagination, many of us grow up knowing much more about diabetes than uh, you know somebody who is not South Asian. It is a part of our lives. M many relatives of ours will have it. Many of us are predisposed. Many of us have dabbled with pre-diabetes, but I don't want to assume that everybody listening has that same level of knowledge. We're talking about type 2 diabetes today. So I think the first thing we should talk about is the distinction between type one and type two and why we would dive in on type two specifically. Type one diabetes, which we're not going to talk about too much, is an autoimmune attack on the pancreas, specifically the cells that create insulin. And we talked about this a bit before in our insulin episode. We talked about that earlier on in 2022. And we don't use the term childhood diabetes. No, anymore. exactly. So good point. I was about to say that. So the issue is you can get type 1 diabetes, usually occurs in the first or second decade of life is when you first start having symptoms. But now we know that type 2 diabetes, the age is occurring earlier and earlier, and there's lots of kids who have childhood onset. The other thing was we used to call it type 1 diabetes, insulin-dependent diabetes. But lots of people with type 2 will require insulin. So that's not a good differentiating factor as well. So these so th terms have changed just because the medical health landscape has changed. That's why we have to do away with... I think so. It, 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 just to, I think to be more accurate is a better okay. way of doing it. So type 2 is different. It's not an immune attack on the, on the pancreas. It's basically, it can develop over time. And basically what happens is there's a combination of things that go on, but due to various things, obesity is a factor, genetics are a big factor, but you have resistance to insulin. So insulin does not work as well. And if you recall from a previous episode, the purpose of insulin is insulin takes sugar that's floating around in our blood and pushes it into cells so it can be used, right? We need, we need sugar to be used as an energy source for our cells. So the cells don't respond to insulin as well. You also don't have enough insulin being produced by the pancreas, and you have excessive glucagon secretion. So glucagon is a different hormone which increases your blood sugar level. So you can see if you have 
excessive glucagon secretion. So your blood sugar levels will go high, but you're not getting that sugar into your cells. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now you said that we need sugar to function. We need it for energy, mm. but we should give that a context because somebody listening might be like, all right, I'll yeah. take a bite of this jalebi and let you right now. <laughs> what, what I mean is, so. is glucose. So the basic kind of component of these is glucose and glucose is what we need for the most part for energy for our cells. We can use other things like fats and, and proteins as well, but glucose is the main thing. So when I say sugar, what I actually mean is glucose. Right. But also when you say glucose, you don't mean a spoon of sugar. We're talking about sugar from food that gets Correct. broken Correct. down Correct. into your Correct. like Correct. pasta or rice and these kind of things exactly. that break down. Okay. Exactly. All right. So carbohydrates. We know everything. No, you're right. So carbohydrates get broken down eventually to glucose. Yeah. That's a good way of saying, yeah. So it's not, as you're saying, we shouldn't have a spoonful of refined spoon white sugar every day. Sugar. Yes. Tell me, you know, it's obviously on the rise, as you suggested off the top. It is seeping into younger and younger generations. How common is diabetes right now? This is one of those things where I always ask you, whatever condition we talk about, I'm like, is it more common or are we just finding out about it more? Are we testing for it? This is one that's absolutely more common. Yeah, yes. yeah, I, I, for yes. sure, for sure. There's the issue of pre-diabetes, which maybe we'll save for a different episode. I think we're going to have a separate episode talking about some of these treatments for for weight loss and, and pre-diabetes. But in terms of diabetes itself, if you look at the U.S., it's estimated that about 15% of the population has diabetes, 11% or so have diagnosed diabetes, and another 3 to 4% have undiagnosed diabetes. Just This is just what they estimate. And it increases with age. So in the U.S., in age 65 and over, 30% of people will have diabetes. That's a lot. A huge. And so this kind of gets to what you were saying, though. If you look at other countries, diets contain fewer calories and your daily caloric expenditure is higher. Why? You're walking places, you're biking places, you know, you, there's not this kind of sedentary lifestyle. But what happens is as people in these countries adopt Western lifestyles, weight gain, type 2 diabetes, can sometimes become epidemic. And you mentioned Southeast Asia, definitely true, but there are some places like Polynesian islands. I mentioned South Asia is what I mentioned. Don't put the East in there because oh, I don't sorry. know anything about their habits, dude. I'm sorry, so 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 yeah. South Asia, yes. So if you look at the worldwide prevalence, they estimate one in 10 adults have diabetes. That's from 2021. And they expect it to increase over time. So by 2045, they expect 786 million people to have diabetes, and especially they're predicted to have bigger increases in Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. They'll probably have the biggest expansion, again, because you're having these more middle-class societies burgeoning in those countries, if that's a word that I could use in this situation. Mm -hmm. And then they're adopting these Western kind of diets and lifestyles, and then- This is a dangerous, slippery slope you're on, Asif. Some politician who's trying to erase the middle class can now be like, I'm I'm trying to get rid of diabetes, yeah. guys. That's all. That's all I'm trying yeah. to do. You mentioned that it, you know, increases as you get older and you suggested that's because people become more sedentary. But what is the original cause for diabetes? Because there was a lot of misconception when we were kids, it would all be like, don't eat too much sugar, you'll mm -hmm. get diabetes. Mm -hmm. And then somebody would always be there to be like, that's not how you get diabetes. You don't get diabetes from eating sugar. And I want to know what the medical industry feels. What's the party line? What causes diabetes? 
Yeah, so this one is not a we don't know. No, but it is complicated. How about that? It's yes. probably an interaction between both your genetic predisposition. There's no gene that we can test though, and environment. Okay, so basically, it develops when you have a what we call a diabetogenic lifestyle, excessive calories that you're taking in, inadequate expenditure of calories, and obesity, and you superimpose that on someone who is susceptible from genetics because their parents have it. And there's definitely a link with obesity. 90% of individuals with type 2 diabetes are overweight or have obesity. But some people think that maybe just having more calories is more important than baseline obesity. So, But it definitely, they're both risk factors. So other risk factors, age greater than 45, weight greater than 120% of your desirable body weight, a family history of a first-degree relative, being Hispanic, Native American, African American, Pacific Islander, or Asian American. And this is, I taken from US websites. In the US, Asian American, I didn't know this till I, I read up about it. They include South Asia as well as Eastern Asian countries. So, in other words, China, Japan, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, they're all grouped together. I would argue, I don't think that there's too many similarities, especially from a genetic profile. I don't think there's a lot of overlap, but they just group them all together in the US. And I think when we look at numbers in Canada, we separate them out a bit more. Hypertension, high cholesterol, and then some other things that are maybe more female specific. So having gestational diabetes, that's a whole other topic. You can oh, yeah. develop diabetes during pregnancy. You probably heard about that. Or having polycystic ovarian syndrome, uh, that can result in insulin uh, resistance. The genetics is way more complicated than what I just said, just in terms of having this family history and a first degree relative. But I think we should leave it at that just because it gets a bit too complicated to go into the genetics of it. Well, tell me again about the consumption of sugar because... Yeah, sorry. Let me just... Uh, no, no, no. We didn't get into it. But I want to dive into that because when we talk about South Asians, you cannot remove that from the weather. You know, of course, all those other risk factors that you mentioned are present among South Asians as well often. But it's not just a coincidence, I imagine, that we have some of the sweetest desserts and practices and rituals that involve force-feeding each other those desserts. If you've ever been to an Indian wedding, it's like mumitakaro means make your mouth sweet. Um, <laughs> start with it. It's, it's a symbolic gesture yeah. to suggest a sweet life, a nice life, a good life when you're getting married. And it's a huge thing. You know, some of these brides will have a bucket beside them so they can take the thing in their mouth and then spit it out others consume it and uh, it's a disaster on another level and we have an insane amount of dessert and basically if you're not familiar with the world of indian pakistan you know south asian desserts in general picture fudge you know that you get at gas station yeah, or county times fairs 100. It, it, times 100 it's everything has the sugar level yeah. of fudge it's Listen, insane people may have gathered this from the podcast i like sugary cereals i like candy what? chocolate things like that i need cocoa puffs over i here. essentially hate indian desserts they are way too sweet for me yeah too sweet for me so uh, yeah Ali, I, I think we gotta move away a bit from that though so if you go back to south asians sweets were especially for people who were not as well off lower social economic status they were almost reserved for the holidays and for weddings and celebrations, right? Mm -hmm. Not a common thing people would have dessert after every meal, all right? But as affluence has increased in India, now you're seeing this more often. Even, you know, having your dal and rice, you got the protein, you got the carbs, 
then you go work in your field, right? Or, or mm-hmm. do whatever manual labor you were doing, working on railroads, whatever the case may be. So you're expending all this energy, having a meal that does have protein and carbohydrates in it, and then you go you know, about your day and continue working some more. But now you have more sedentary jobs, IT, middle-class jobs, right? Not as moving around as much. Now, sweets and desserts aren't just in special occasions. They're taken all the time. In the end, basically what it is, in these genetically predisposed people, you're having increased caloric intake, not enough caloric expenditure. That's if anybody knows diabetes patient zero, brown diabetes patient zero, get in touch with us. Who was it? Uncle Rom, Uncle, how did you do it? All right. So you've talked about this variety of risk factors and all that. Then this might be complicated as well, but I wanted to talk about complications that you, mm-hmm. that can happen. Yeah. When you don't take care of diabetes, if it isn't monitored, or if you're not, whatever, some people need to be medicated. Some people need to change their lifestyle based on whatever choices they make. But it's interesting that from the perspective of someone who knows nothing about medication, I always heard of two things that can happen. And one involves your feet and one involves your eyes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's two opposite ends of your body and neither of them seem like they would make sense if you don't have a knowledge of uh, right. you know, how the human body works. Exactly. So we just back up for a sec. The symptoms that you may have, a lot of people diagnosed with diabetes have no symptoms. That's an important thing. That's why they recommend screening in your 40s, definitely, sometimes earlier, depending on your family history. So doing your doctor doing some screening, either blood work, some urine tests. But really, the symptoms early on can be increased thirst, Increase eating, increase peeing because you have sugar that's coming out in your urine. So you actually go to the That's so unbelievably vague. Right now, 80% of our listeners probably think they have diabetes with those three things. And dude, sometimes it's a bit complicated in terms of what happens. It has to do with the reactions of having in your blood of just having such a high sugar level. But you can actually have weight loss when you have the initial symptoms of diabetes. I want it. Give it to you, me. You definitely don't because you can also have like coma, seizures, etc. But in answer to your question, the complication of diabetes, which is what we get worried about. And what happens is you can think about what we call microvascular complications and macrovascular complications, but they all involve blood vessels. So that's actually why you get these problems in various parts of the body because blood vessels innervate all our organs everywhere in our body. So depending on the blood vessels involved, you can have different different findings. But the microvascular complications are these microscopic blood vessels that can be affected just by having diabetes and high blood sugar. So you basically get a problem with the blood vessels because of this and the circulation. So they can affect your eyes and then you could have these eye changes that you were talking about. Diabetes is the major cause of blindness in adults aged 20 to 74 in the United States. So that's one. You you mentioned eyes. Other things that you didn't mention is kidneys. Diabetes is the leading contributor to end-stage renal disease in the United States. Again, because we have microscopic blood vessels that supply our kidneys, so they get affected. And of course, we have these microscopic blood vessels that supply our limbs, especially our distal extremities. And the one that happens is usually in our lower extremities, the toes. And because of that, some people need amputation. Diabetes is the leading cause of non-traumatic lower limb amputation in the United States. Uh, People who have diabetes have a 15 to 40-fold increase of risk of needing a lower limb amputation versus the non-diabetic population. 
And tell the doctors who specialize in, in diabetes work, that's endocrinologist? Or, Correct. Or, yes, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Perfect. I probably should have said that before. All my endocrinology friends are angry that I didn't mention their specialty. And endocrinology is the study of what specifically? Hormones. So okay. hormones. So because insulin is a hormone, a secreted hormone, that's why endocrinologists are in charge of that. But they'd also be seeing you for thyroid, growth hormone right. deficiency, things, things like that. Then you can have macrovascular complications. So these are our larger blood vessels that supply things like our heart, our brain. So stroke, heart disease, these are also And so then these go both ways based on what you were saying earlier that diabetes puts you at risk for coronary heart disease, but also heart disease puts you at risk for diabetes. Mainly the risk factors for heart disease, like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, can also put you at risk. Got for, it. For, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the risk for heart disease is two to four times greater in a patient with diabetes than in someone without diabetes. So again, it's something that you want to control. And then the last thing to think about, I forgot to mention, this, this is more of a microvascular problem, is a neuropathy. So we see that in neurology because our nerves are also supplied by these microscopic blood vessels. So you can get numbness, tingling, pain, which we can commonly see with patients with diabetes. So again, really important that patients are screened for diabetes and treated early if possible to prevent all these complications. Because it's almost ironic that that's what you think about when you hear about diabetes. You think about these end-stage complications. That's how much of a better job we need to do to treat it early, right? When the common person, you, just really knows these complications. So let's talk about that screening. Is mm -hmm. it going for a professional blood test and having your doctor check that box that says yeah. screening for diabetes? Or can you do those blood tests at home that people who have diabetes yeah. check for your blood sugar level and it should be in between a range? Yes. So both of those are true. For the initial diagnosis, you need to see your doctor. And it's important, you know, in some studies, patients with type 2 diabetes were found to have diabetes for four to seven years by at the time they were diagnosed. So they're already starting to have these and organ dysfunction that we talked wow. about. So wow. but your doctor can do it. They can do a hemoglobin A1C. It depends if you're in the US or Canada in terms of how you interpret the result, but it's a percentage. So a level of 6.5% or greater is considered diabetes. In Canada, we would say that's 0.65 or later, but it just converting the decimal to a to a percentage. Mm. Or, you know, you can do a, a fasting glucose, a blood sugar level done first thing in the morning with fasting. If it's seven or higher, that's uh, considered abnormal. Or a random level that's above 11. You can also do a, what's called a glucose tolerance test, where you ingest glucose and they measure the, the level that your blood sugar rises. If that's over 11, that can also be uh, a criteria. So you, your doctor can do that. If they find this, they may also check your urine to see if you're secreting proteins, which may indicate a problem with your kidneys. And is there one where like you eat a bunch of sugar and they weigh you before you eat the sugar and weigh you after the sugar? Or is that just with when you go buy scrap metal? So anyway, so that's basically how you get diagnosed. And then of course you should go for screening with your doctor, eye exams regularly if you've been diagnosed. The prognosis, like I said, it's really associated with your glycemic control. There is some suggestion that Controlling your blood sugar only actually helps the microvascular things and doesn't help macrovascular problems like stroke and, and heart disease. But it, it's still obviously extremely important to manage the diabetes well. Basically, you should be going for blood tests relatively regularly to make sure you're not one of these people who's had something for years and don't know about it. How often should somebody be going for a blood test or does it vary with age? It, it depends about your age and your risk factors. I think they say if you have no risk factors, like every few years is okay. 
Oh, but no, if you really? have risk okay. factors or whatever, then your doctor may do it more regularly. Yeah, so there are lots of medications. And I think maybe we can talk about medications maybe on a separate episode. There's a certain medication that's been in the news lately that I think Ali wants to talk about. So we'll, we'll talk about that. But really, <laughs> Not because I want it, just because I've been hearing about it. There yeah. we go. So it is important to do a couple things. So one is dietary and exercise modifications and follow-up and monitoring. So part of that monitoring is monitoring your own glucose levels, right? That's what you were asking. That's why a lot of people we know with diabetes will have the finger prick and they could just test mm. at home and see how things are going. So with I would hear to- my, my father from the uh, dining room just yell out the word, damn it. And that's when I knew <laughs> that, that was- his, his <laughs> sugar was over eight or something like that. Yeah. So dietary modification is obviously important. And really you have to restrict the number of calories that you take in. We've talked about different kinds of diets in the past, ketogenic diet, et cetera. But, and some of those have been shown to work, like a ketogenic diet with low carbs, maybe restricting your fats and simple sugars is reasonable, ingesting more complex sugars. But in the end, I think a lot of the experts say whatever method you can use to restrict your calories that is conducive to your lifestyle, you should do that. Hunger strike? Well, some people, you want things that are within your financial reach and the cultural milieu, right? You can't just say, it's hard for, say, a South Asian person to stop having rice if that's what they've grown up on, right? Some people can, but it may be difficult. There's things like the Mediterranean diet that have been shown, shown to help. And you really need to increase your physical activity. They say more than 150 minutes per week is associated with, with a greater hemoglobin 1AC reduction than less. But it's also important that you need to always combine that with dietary modification. So it's both. Mm-hmm. And because really, and a lot of people will say this, if you lose 5 to 10% of your weight, you could have significant benefits with type 2 diabetes, with all those complications, including cardiovascular risk factors. And the more you lose, if you lose like 10 to 15% of your body weight, the improvements are even better. So Really, these are the mainstays. In addition to medications and appropriate follow-up and monitoring for complications, is dietary modifications, activity modifications with the goal of losing weight. Because if you can do that, you can really help to prevent some of these long-term complications. Okay. And dietary modifications, you're leaving that vague. That is something that is unique to each person, but also probably done best with the help of a doctor or nutritionist. Yeah, I mean, there is evidence for like plant-based, which you've, you've talked, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but you and I have talked about that. You you do that every once in a while or, you know, or, or, or more Yeah, often everything that I was at risk for way down when I was focused on six days a week of plant-based. That's uh, Dr. Ali Hassan huh? oh, describing- Oh, not a know, real doctor. But I think the key with that is, and that's why we're not going to get too much into it, because certainly there's lots of different diets that work. But I think, you know, in my opinion, most diets work because they are restricting your calories. That's why they work. So any method you can do to do that that's conducive to your lifestyle and you think you can stick to, that would be ideal. Okay, everyone, that's our show for today. Hope you found it interesting. These are two topics that really talked about a lot. Maybe type 2 diabetes should be talked about more, actually, more than the Nepo babies. But let us know what you guys thought about this episode. Like I said, we're going to do some follow-up episodes of some related things in the next couple weeks. 
But reach out to us, drvcomedian at gmail.com, drvcomedian on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are everywhere, not TikTok. They still have us banned. Listen to a previous episode for the explanation why. Ali, anything to plug for January, February? Yeah, I'm uh, touring Ontario. It's a 10-city tour around the province of Ontario. In February, I head to uh, Moncton for the Hubcap Comedy Festival. You can look up that festival. Fantastic. I'm hosting the opening night of the festival on a Thursday. I The date is the first Thursday in February. I'm going to Victoria, BC in March. Canada Reads comes up in March. There's a few things. You can check out my website, standupali.com, to dive in further. And uh, very happy to say that book sales is their bacon in heaven. My uh, comedic memoir are in a very good place. They're in a very healthy place and they uh, continue to be of interest after the holidays. So I'm very happy about that. And I forgot to mention this, that not only is that good news about the book, we were nominated for an award at the end of 2022. Uh, just uh, mentioning it now, we were nominated for the Hags Comedy Festival Award for Comedian of Medicine Award 2022. So Hags, Hags is, H- by the way, Den Haag, which is the Hague in, right. Uh, in the, right. right? And that's right. where the that's International right. Criminal Court of Justice is. So there's certain things you want to be recognized for in the Hague and certain things you don't want to be recognized for. And we got the good one. We got the good one. Very happy about that. I'm happy they found us. And I should say a winner, uh, we didn't win. It was Michael Akadiri who's a, a comedian in the UK, I believe, So and, and also a physician. So there you go. So, but we were very happy to be nominated. We really appreciate that. We'll, we'll put that on social media as well. Uh, the organization, the Hag Comedy Festival for that. So thank you, Hag Comedy Festival. Thank you, everyone, for listening. But remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only, and they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. And if you find the brown patient zero of diabetes, let me know. Bye.